All right, good morning, church. One of my hopes always is if you spend a long time here that you'll grow in God's Word. And I've been observing that also if you stay here a long time, you might learn more words in hello because of Steve's announcements. So he's always trying to add new ones. Um, I really enjoyed my father preaching the last three Sundays. I'm glad to be back preaching. This is my calling as well as his. And I had a really good time with them. We are kicking off a new study in the book of Galatians today. Uh, I titled the series Freedom Fighters, and there's a reason for that, and that's because as we go through this letter, what you're going to see is that Paul is really fighting for freedom in the gospel. That's what the fight's about. It's about freedom in Christ, and there are those who in Paul's day had come in and were adding things to the gospel You can't be a follower of Christ or a Christian unless you do these things as well. And Paul is going to try to deconstruct that. Now, um, Galatians is is a region. There were a number of churches in the area. He wrote to them. He knew what was going on. That's what this letter is about. I've titled it Freedom Fighters. And just as a way of illustration, let me read you one verse. This is kind of introducing the series. But in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Wow. I mean, it's like people have come from another church and they're sitting in our church and they they think we got too much freedom and they're going to try to stir things up to draw us back into following rules. That's a really easy way to think about it. That's what this book is about. Let me read to you the first section we're going to study today. Today's message is called The Rescuer. Let me read it to you and then we'll get into this. It says in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Lord, I just pray as we get into this study, we're kicking off a study in this wonderful book Paul wrote to the church in Galatia that they were dealing with something serious, a threat to the gospel. And yet, even today, these kinds of threats exist. So what he wrote has such great application to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless our studies You would teach us, correct us, and grow us in your word, in Christ's name. Amen. Now, early on, when I first moved to Guam in the 90s, I remember my brother was here, and I had a friend who came from the States to visit. His name was Dave, and we were all young guys just out of college, and we went on the tour. You know, most everyone here, you've done the tour. You drive down south, you hang a left at the Navy base, and you go around the south, you know. And we had a couple local high school boys who we were teaching come with us. We were teachers at the time at a school. And we stopped, and we did a hike. We hiked down to Sella uh, Bay. Now, just recently, when I took my parents around, we did this. We, we, we went around, and we stopped, but we didn't do the hike. But I pointed it out to them. Dad, we've, we did a hike all the way down. There's a Spanish bridge down there. It's pretty cool, and it's beautiful down there. You can snorkel, and that's what we did back in the 90s. And we hiked down there and set up a little picnic. We were having fun. We were 
we're swimming close to the water. Well, one of the boys decided he wanted to go out farther, and he, he went out swimming. And it wasn't before long, we, we noticed him. My friend Dave said, hey, you know, his name was John. Look, he's, uh, he's waving at us. And we looked out, and he was doing this. And we were like, wow, yeah, what? hey, you know, maybe he wants us to take a picture. Get the camera, you know, there he is out there. And then pretty soon it turned to two arms, you know, and I go, I don't think he could swim with two arms constantly waving. He must be in trouble. And so we've learned this now. If you've lived here a while in Guam, there, there are strong currents, you know, and the, even this last decade that I've been here, you know, it seems like every other month in the newspapers, someone has been sucked out and drowns. It's, it can be dangerous. You got to know the currents. And this young boy, he was a high schooler, had been sucked out. And we said, we got to help him. We got to save him. Now, me and my friend, we jumped in the water and we began to swim out there. And I got partway out and I realized, I mean, I could swim. I'm not a super strong swimmer. I began to realize I was getting sucked out. If I kept going, then there would be two people doing this. And I told my friend, actually, he, he, I was telling him I'm, I'm struggling. He said, I got it. You can go back. Now, my, my friend was a competitive swimmer. He swam in the Junior Olympics. He was a good swimmer, very strong. He swam out there to him and got him and brought him back. In fact, they, they got to a shallow part where they could stand up, and then they had to go back and deeper to get across. But, but uh, he struggled, but he did it, and, they, and he saved him. And my point, to kick off this, this series, I use that story to set a tone, and it's the tone of the rescuer. Because in this section, you're gonna, we're going to find that we need to be rescued. And there's this gospel message that we've been given, if we receive it, that leads to our rescuing. And that message was under threat and that's what Paul's writing about. But today we're going to study this section that deals with the rescuer. So here's what I'm going to lay out as the first point, And that is this, that Paul, where does Paul's authority come from? Now, because Paul is going to have to deal with issues, he lays a strong tone right out of the gate in the book that he has the authority to deal with these issues. And he begins by saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men. Where does his authority come from to write up to the church about this? And the first note is it's not from men. His authority does not come from men. In fact, this reminds me of when we studied the gospel of Mark. There's a great verse in there, Mark chapter 1, verse 21, 22. It says, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, that's Christ, and was teaching. And, when the, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And there's a contrast being made. The scribes teach, but they have a certain way of teaching that, that we have authority to do these things. Why? Because we've gone through these, we've been, whatever, you fill in the blank, accredited. I have a degree. I've got the training. I've we have these things. Jesus doesn't do that. He teaches differently. He just comes in and begins to teach as one with authority. Now, when we went through the book of Mark, I made a point about this because that word authority, we get the word author from. And it's something interesting to think about, an author. Because when an author writes, they're sovereign over that story that they're writing. And you see, Christ He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the creator of the universe. He's sovereign over the grand narrative of all history of man and the church and of your salvation. He can teach. Paul is going to say, my authority doesn't come from man. He's in a category that is different. Today, in today's world, if you, maybe you, on YouTube and you see a debate going on between two people, they, that's, this is what they do. They try to establish based upon what authority they're speaking into the subject. And I've even heard where one guy says, well, what is your degree in? Well, you don't have a degree in biology. What, why can you say anything on that subject? And we attach to ourselves some type of accreditation to give us that authoritative speaking into. This is not 
Christ, and Paul is going to be in a category like this. Now, he says, my authority is not from men. In fact, as an illustration, I was thinking about this. See, my son, Josiah, growing up, if you went into his room, you'd find about 50, 75 books that he read. They were all Star Wars. He loved Star Wars. Now, see, when I was growing up, we had three movies. That's what we had. And then some books started to come out, but I never really read much of them. But by the time my son was into it, there were all these narratives and these arcs and these offshoots, you know. And there was this story about George Lucas, who's the creator of Star Wars, going to some like Comic-Con convention. And he's in there and somebody asks him this question that basically is like, which is true, this or that? Because there's two things out there. And then he answered the question, why? He's George Lucas. He created it. And this is the kind of level of authority that I want you to kind of grasp that Paul's going to come from. His authority is going to come from the creator, from Christ. It's a whole other category. And the author writes what he writes. And in, 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 in Star Wars, this is, they use this word canon, right? Well, that belongs in Star Wars canon. This, throw it out. And it's a way of like discovering the true stories, right? And that's that, that can be similar, you know? What is true? That's not true, throw it out. But we need to know what that standard is. What, what do we compare things to to find truth? That's why Paul is starting with this. He can't deal with the problems in the church without first laying this foundation of authority to speak into it. Now, we see this uh, it's not from men, but the second thing is it's not through men. Now, from is like they gave it to you. Through is like we, we get the word diameter from the word the, through here, like it goes through something. Uh, and he's going to say it's not through men either. And what I think is interesting about this is the pedigree of Paul, that he doesn't even draw up on this. For example, if you go to Acts chapter 22, uh, Paul says this. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicily, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Well, who's that? Well, let me just tell you about this guy, Gamaliel, because when I went to my very first class on he the Hebrew language, and they're going to teach us Old Testament Hebrew, they told us about Gamaliel. 2,000 years later, they're talking about this guy in classes to teach you about Hebrew. That says something about who he was. Now, I could say, yes, I studied what this guy said. Paul could say, I studied at his feet. I mean, you can't get any closer than that. I studied at the feet of the, one of the greatest scholars ever of Hebrew faith and language and customs and religion. And yet, his authority will not ground itself in that. It's going to be grounded in something else. Does it come from man? Does it come through men? But, Paul says, through Jesus Christ, that author and that finisher of our faith, the creator of the universe. Now, this is what I think is super fascinating about Paul. Because how does he... Uh, get educated by Christ? How can he draw upon him? In a different way than us, right? Well, there's two, two thoughts. The first that I put here is he's corrected by him. Jesus Christ appeared to him and said to him, essentially, everything that you've devoted your life to is wrong. Because that's what he said. Paul had devoted his entire life to Judaism. He believed in it so much that he said, this little Christian thing going on, I'm going to persecute it. I'm going to kill it. And so then he's traveling on this road and Christ appears to him and says, why do you persecute me, Paul? When you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. Now just think about if you, in this room, I don't know what your life's all about, but if there's one thing you, you dedicated your entire life to and you believe in it and suddenly the Lord Jesus appears to you and says, it's all wrong. I mean, 
my example in the first service was, it's like, you know, my good friend, an elder in this church, Jeff Jones, he's been on this island forever. His dad before him, they started a business. It's grown. They sell Ford cars. They're Ford people. They drive Fords. Right now, Jeff is not here. He's traveling. He's in Japan. What if Jesus appeared to him and said, Jeff Jones, I drive a Chevy. Now, see, the first service didn't get that. You know, I almost threw that out. You know, like they're wholly devoted to Ford. You know, it's a light example. You know, you get a little laughter. But that's what I'm trying to say is Christ corrected Paul. You're wrong. But not only that, he doesn't abandon him then. You're wrong. He takes him. In fact, he tutors him for three years. We get this, we're going to talk about it later when we get to it in Galatians, but I'll just read it to you real quick. Verse 17, chapter 1, Paul says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus after three years. So you have him on the road to Damascus. Christ appears. You're wrong. You're persecuting me. He's going to give his life to Christ, but then he, he just comes out of the scene and he goes away to Arabia for three years to be prepared. He's not, he's not planting churches. He's not. That's where he is. And Christ invests in him. That is unique. That is why. Why would you ever say authority in Gamaliel? I sat at the feet of Christ. Right? Christ invested in me. He prepared him. Now, um, we see that the authority is not from men. It's not through men, but through Jesus Christ. And I just add in here, and God the Father. Because that's what he says in the text. He says, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, that's important because Jesus said, if you want to know the Father, know me. If you see me, you see the Father. Right? There's this connection, this relationship, meaning if the authority, there's never a disparity between the Father and the Son. If, if you sat at, at, at Christ invested in you, in his presence, and he sent you, and he gives you authority, it is the same from the Father. He rep, he's a, a representation of the Father on earth. He's also God. Now, this is important because truth, as we try to deal with things in the church today, often goes all the way back to Genesis, okay? When we're wrestling in the church today, and it's like, well, what is gender? What is marriage? How do we define it? What is these things? I find myself going all the way back to Genesis chapter one, where the father is there. In the beginning, God created the heavens. And the earth. Well, what did he do in those scenes? And there's this connection of truth. And we're laying it out right at the beginning. If we're going to deal with anything, if we're going to deal with problems in the church, the foundation is God's word going all the way back to Genesis. And I can recall, um, I think it was a Jehovah's Witness came to my door when I was younger and had a conversation with him. I used to get my Bible out and like to interact with him. And he was trying to make the case that, that Jesus was, is not the same, is not equal to God. He's, and I said, you know, I, I went to a passage in the Gospels where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And he says, yes, one in purpose, one in mission but not the same. I said, well, that doesn't make sense because aren't you one in purpose too? Or shouldn't we be in the same mission as God? We're not on a different mission than God, right? Yes. Well, then why did they want to kill him for saying that? They wanted to kill him. The blasphemy was that he was making himself equal to God. Jesus and the Father won. And sitting in the presence of Christ, being prepared, the authority goes all the way back the whole trinity to the Father. Paul's authority is going to come from Christ and God the Father. And that kind of leaves me with the last question, because actually the first thing he says is, Paul, 
an apostle. Now, this is also part of his authority. Now, you may have heard me say this before, because one time I was watching TV, and there's a TV preacher, and, and the name came up, and it said, Apostle so-and-so. And it's like, wow, there's an apostle alive today in the world? And you need to understand the difference. There's apostle big A and apostle little a. Like, it, it's true that in the early church, apostles were given to the church, and the word means set apart. They're commissioned for a specific purpose in serving the church. But there is this special category of apostle that was Paul, that was Peter, that were the 12. And the requirement for being that was that you were with Christ, that Christ chose you, and that you saw the resurrected Christ. I'm pretty sure the guy I saw on TV has not seen the resurrected Christ. Not yet. But that is a big difference because Apostle Big A speaks with authority on the level of Scripture. They write Scripture. Most of the New Testament comes from Paul. Peter wrote, right? The apostles wrote Scripture. And that's just a kind of a side note as you read Scripture and you see that to make that differentiation. But Paul's authority also is tied into that. Now, why is he laying this out? Well, the point number two is why Paul's authority is necessary. Why does he need to be come out strong out of the gate? And the first thing that I put here, just observing the text, is that we need deliverance. You know, it's like we saw that high school boy out there, and even when he was doing this, it's like he wants a picture. He's waving. We weren't even that aware that he was in trouble and needed help, right? But the Bible describes it this way, that you're the person in the water, and you're in trouble, and you don't even know it. We are spiritually blind to our sin and how depraved we are. And I, I had the thought, I, I wonder how many in here have ever gone, have maybe haven't gone through the Romans Road. And under this point, I thought, I'm going to put some of the Romans Road up here. The Romans Road is like this little road you could travel through the book of Romans where it lays out the very thing I'm talking about. For example, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Paul writes. That means everyone, there is no exception. Everyone falls short of God's glory. We have done something to break his laws, to offend him. And then he says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. If you're a sinner, do you know what a wage is? A wage is what you earn. You go and you work and you get a wage, a working wage. And Paul uses this word to tell us when we sin, we have earned death. And death comes two ways. Death comes physically, but it also comes spiritually. And the Bible says, don't fear physical death, fear spiritual death. Spiritual death is permanent. No salvation after this life. And we are all destined for that. And we need saved. We need to be rescued. And he says in Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in that little passage, it's really great how, how he says... Some of us, we might die for a person who's good. Like there's a person and they're noble and they're good. Maybe we will die for them. But who would die for a reprobate? This is a murdering, thieving, stealing, raping person. Why give your life away for them? Who would do that? And that's the example he uses. We are that person. And despite the fact that we are reprobate sinners, he loved us and still died for us. We have a need to be rescued. God sees it. He's not on the beach going, oh, uh, do they need saved? He knows it. He sent his son. His son has died. He loved us. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it says you will be saved. Sometimes I, I take people there because they say, well, what do I do? Well, Paul says, first of all, there has to be a belief here. And then you say it. Those things work together to bring about salvation. Christ's death was public. He hung on the cross for all to see. And the Bible says if we embrace that belief in here, we need to at some point publicly say it because doing that puts you into 
the body of Christ. We see that. We need, we need to shepherd you. We need to help protect you. We need to nurture you. We need to train you. We need to bring you into the family and treat you like a child, like a parent would a child and a brother and sister would. You can't do that when you're hiding in the closet. There's no accountability. And so the way Paul unfolds it, you believe here, you say with your mouth, you will be saved. You want to be sure of your salvation? Those two things. Sometimes when I'm talking with a person and oh, are you saved? Well, walk me through your life. Was there a time, and then I go to this verse, where you, 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 you were working it out in here and you said it? And, that, and that's, that's one of the ways you can dialogue with someone about salvation and if it's there. But my point, why is Paul doing all this? And, and out of the gate, one of the things that he says is we need to be saved. We have a need to be rescued, okay? Now, um, after that, another reason is that we live in an evil age. He's making a case for his authority because he has to speak into what is truth in an age that is evil. So, uh, this word here, the Greek word for age, does not refer to a period of time, but an order or system, and in particular to the current world system that is ruled by Satan. That's why elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. As Christians, ultimately, our fight is not against flesh and blood, against people. Our fight is of a demonic nature. He says we wrestle against spiritual powers in high places. And the Bible describes Satan as being organized and he has, has a plan and he's working things out in cultures in different ways. How I'm going to lead this culture and this family and that person astray from the gospel. And you're going to see it in Galatians. There's a plan he has in that Galatian church and he's working it and that is why Paul needs authority to deal with it. Now, he goes on, why else does he need authority? Because Christians were deserting. Believers in Christ, there was a desertion. This word desertion means to turn away. The Greek word was used of military um, personnel who their desertion would be punishable by death. And the form of this word, this verb, this deserting, indicates that the Galatian believers were voluntarily deserting grace to pursue legalism. And that's the heart of the book, that things are being added to the gospel. In particular, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews were saying, you must, to the Gentiles, do Jewish things or you're not saved. They're adding to the gospel. And Paul's the way he writes that, what he's indicating is that, that that church, there were people who were voluntarily saying, okay, and I'm gonna go over here and do what they're saying, and they are being enslaved into legalism. That's why he needs authority to deal with it. Also, we're turning, he says, to a different gospel. And he uses this word, some are troubling you. Let me read it again. He says, I'm, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he goes on to say, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And this word trouble means to shake back and forth, to agitate or stir up. It can cause emotional disturbance and what the picture that Paul's painting is that these people that wanted to add to the gospel are coming over and stirring things up, which is one of the sources of causing people to, I don't want to deal with this agitation. I'm just going to go over here. They're voluntarily coming over and embracing legalism. The pressure of that. But what's interesting is Paul says this. Notice he says, you're turning to a different gospel. Caveat. He says something, he adds something here, not that there is another gospel. Just to be clear, there's not another gospel. There's only one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't put any message out there that says, I'm the way, and plus something else. You can't add anything to that. There is no other gospel. It is Christ and Christ alone. 
And to add to that is to not make another gospel. It reverses it and means whatever that message is, it's, it's not the gospel. There is no other gospel, he says. And I love that he just clarifies that. Now, this is, so just this, unfold this. He's laying out why he has authority and then and where it comes from. And then he's gonna, we're going to see the warnings, right? What is Paul's warning to the church? And the first note, n- notice that I want you to see here is his tone. His tone is a warning. Now, you know how I, I get this? If you read Paul's letters, most of the time he begins his letters with a warm greeting. You know, my beloved brothers, right? This is how he writes. I mean, do you, when you write a letter, okay, when you write an email, I don't know who writes letters, right? Most people just write. When you write, you usually, you know, you know half a day or, you know, you, you start out that way. Paul does not do that. From the get-go, the tone is, I am an apostle, and I'm astonished at you, and this, let that be damned, and this, let that be damned. That's the tone. I mean, I don't know about you, but is that how you write home? (laughs) He's giving us the tone. This is stern. There's a warning here, right? And he says here, beware of distorters. Remember those trouble, they're causing trouble, they're shaking up, they're agitating. What is their goal? They want to distort the gospel. That's what he says. Some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel, they have a desire. And I don't know, it's like they're over here and they're looking over and they're like, they don't have to follow the rules we're following. I mean, just imagine Judaism had a lot of laws and rules, and they're looking over there going, that's, they, they don't have to do as much as we do, and so that's some of the cause. They want, they have a desire to take what they have and bring it over here, and you become like us. It's not fair that we got to follow these rules and you do, and so they're gonna, the, the way they're going to do that, they're going to distort the gospel to bring them over to that. They're distorters. Now, when you do this, this is like making a payment on something when it's already paid for. It's like, you know, my friend Scott over here. Let's say he owned, I'm going to give you a big number, Scott. Let's say he owed a billion dollars to the bank. Billion dollars to the bank. And every week he's going there and he's making payments, you know. I'm going to get good credit. I got to pay this thing off. I'm working hard. I got to pay a billion. I'm down to 999. You know, it's like he's tracking it, right? And then one day, it's like somebody came of their own and paid the whole thing off. You are debt free. What? A billion dollars out of debt? Woohoo! And then the next morning, he gets up and he drives to the bank and he makes a payment. Why would you do that, Scott? It's paid off, right? And see, when you add to the gospel is, it's paid for. And when you say paid for plus these other things you got to do, it's like going to that bank and making more payments on something that's been paid off. That's Paul's point. They're distorting the gospel. So he's going after this, right? Beware the distorters. Oh, and he's going to pick it up now. Beware of angelic preachers. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Now, see, this has got to be a great strategy. If I'm a Christian and I believe in all of these things and suddenly, whoa, this angel appears and it's beautiful. You know, the Bible says the, that Satan can appear like an angel of light. They can, it's like, disguise. And, and the, the, in the disguise, he says, I got some more revelation for you. And then you take the information, but when you compare it to this and they don't match, Paul's saying, let that be, and there's the word, accursed. The Greek word is anathema, and what it means is damnation, essentially. That's what it means. Now, Uh, I don't know of a better example of this than the Mormon faith, where its founder, Joseph Smith, says that an angel appeared to him. The angel Moroni came to me to give new revelation. But 
what was given. And Paul uses the word contrary. If it's contrarian to the gospel, let it be anathema. Oh, if we could go back in time to that western town, to Joseph Smith and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because you know the foundation you're about to lay is going to grow a massive church that is going to lead millions to hell. That's why he uses the language, let it be damned. Because it will damn others. And then, not only that, but just to make sure we've covered everything, you've got angelic preachers, but beware of human preachers too. Okay? He goes on to say, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel, there's that word contrary, to the one you received, let him be accursed. And you know who else is in that category is even Paul. Because sometimes there are preachers, they could, they could have a great ministry for 15 years, and then somehow they're coming out, and they got a new revelation. And it's leading you into things that seem contrary. And it's so important, God's Word, that we have it, and that it is the standard by which we can compare everything. Because if we don't, it's easy to get twisted and turned and distorted and agitated. And then we are enslaved to things that aren't bringing about freedom in, in Christ. So, this word, and I put here, beware of condemnation then, right? This is what this word means, anathema. Its definition is devoting someone to destruction in eternal hell. You didn't, did you know that, that the word damn is in the Bible? Did you know that? <laughs> right here, twice. Now, if you're somebody who gets angry and looks at someone and says, damn you, not, that's not appropriate. You know why? Because only God, as a judge of heaven, has that right. And you step out of bounds when you do that. But here Paul says, let them be. And there's a, it's a way in which he's saying God's standard is going to judge the truth you're saying is, is the gospel. He's going to judge it, and it's going to be damned. It's going to be condemned. But we need to be careful sometimes to step out of bounds into territory that is God's. Now, I'm going to say one more here. Beware of men pleasers, because he goes on to say, For am I now seeking the approval of man? Or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, we are all subject to this in some, some, at some level. We want to be pleasers of other people. Most of us, at some level. We want mom and dad to, you know, be proud of us. We want to please them. We want to be proud of our kids. We want to do well at work. We want to be good at teams. We want to be good in the classroom. In so many ways, we want to do well. And the, the temptation is that what we really want is the applause, the recognition, and the, the, the desire for that drives us to do things we shouldn't. Just like some of these people were drifting away because, oh, I don't want to deal with the agitation. If I go over there, it, it pleases, it appeases them. That's a, form of, that's a form of pleasing them. And we need to be careful that we, and in our, in our culture today, we can really feel pulled in different directions on a lot of the, the topics that are out there. To be careful to not be giving in because of being man-pleasers. Um, you know, uh, many of you came up to me after my dad's preaching and said, wow, your dad, you got some big shoes to fill. Oh, that bar's pretty high. I just want you to know that I loved it. I loved hearing my dad, and there is no, no jealousy, no envy, because I love my dad. Who, what, what a terrible son it would be. I hope he fails. I hope he's so bad people go, when are you getting back in the pulpit? Well, that's not a love, is it? That's not, that's not a love. And even in a church where you might have a plurality and there's other speakers, because just from this is a like a in a personal example oh man the temptation for man pleasing you know uh, where's mark smith is he in here he always comes up to me say i don't want you to get a big head you know but uh 
all of us have a level of that, right? And Paul gives a warning about that because it can lead you uh, astray. Now, he's given us all these things, right? He's warning to the church. And we come to the end of this, but I'm going to go back for a second because the gospel was given to us. I'm going to make sure that you get it. So I just put a slide. The gospel was given to us. If you, if you go through this, I picked out three things. I go all the way back to verse three. Let me read that again. It says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father to work to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the first thing I want to say is, you know what the gospel is? A substitutionary act by Christ. In this passage, it says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. In my little example of Scott owing a billion dollars and somebody came and paid his debt off, it cost somebody something. It cost them something. They, they had to either liquidate money, sell assets. Maybe they had a lot. And they, but there was a, a deficit of at least a billion dollars out of all of the, the assets that they have. It cost them something. And Jesus came. See, you owed what? The wages of sin is what? Death. That's what you owed. Not a billion dollars. You owed death. Physical and spiritual. And Jesus came. And he substituted for you and died on the cross for you. That's the substitution. Who else could have ever done that? And there's, a, there's more theology that could go into this because our sin violates the holy character of God. There is no other standard that could pay that unless it is perfect because what was robbed is perfect. You're violating the holiness of God. Our sin is and, and the payment has to be equally holy. That's why the standard is don't sin. Don't break any laws. And we can't do it. But he came and he substituted for us. And what is the gospel? Well, that's the first thing in this. It's given, it's given to us. And what's given? A substitution. Secondly, what's given? is that God has accepted the work of Christ. He's accepted that. See, if it was anything, it was it's like, you know, just, I just thought of this now, but in the example of Scott, he owes a billion dollars, dollars. And then somebody comes and tries to pay a billion, what's a low currency? I don't know. Pesos? I don't want to offend anyone. You know, Right? He said, well, it's not exactly equal. You're going to have to pay more than a billion. It's not equal. But see, the payment made with Christ on the cross, God looks at that and he goes, satisfied. I'm satisfied because my son, do you know the value of his son? Divine. Divine. And he gave up his life. He is satisfied. In fact, one of those Romans passages that I read. Let me just go back real quick. Romans, in Romans 3.23, we read this uh, <clears throat> earlier. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then Paul went on to say, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Justified is just as if you've never sinned. We get the righteousness of Christ and he looks at us that way as if we've never sinned. Through the redemption, redemption is a purchasing word that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, here's the word, propitiation by his blood to be received in faith. That word propitiation means satisfaction of payment. Anyone in here ever made a final payment on like a house and they send you something? Satisfied. Satisfaction of debt. It's paid. When Jesus did that, the word propitiation, that's what we get, okay? The gospel's given to us, a substitutionary act. God has accepted the work of Christ. And then the third thing I wanted to put here is according to his will and glory. You know what, what comes, let me just say one more thing, because grace to you and peace from God. If you still owed he couldn't say grace or peace. 
If there's a measure, like, okay, some of it's not paid off. You know, uh, some of the commandments paid that off. I still owe for this one. Still death. You still are in a perilous position before God because he has to judge it. But because it's fully paid, grace to you, peace. Someone who has let the gospel really absorb into their life, they're a person of peace. And they're a person of grace. They can be gracious because they understand the grace that's been given to them. Now, according to his will and for his glory, now we're getting into sovereignty. We're getting into sovereignty. See, if there's anything that you did, well, you know, I got in and got a few of the payments myself before the guy came and paid off the billion dollars. There's a little bit that I did. And over here, they're saying, you got to add this to the gospel message. There's a little bit you got to do. That means at some point you can say, a little bit of the glory is me. A little bit of the glory, I did a little bit of it, right? But Paul writes it in a way, according to what? His will and for his glory. So for all of time, when we go into eternity, it's his glory. His glory for all eternity. Never will we in heaven be, well, you know, let me tell you about how I helped out a little bit to get myself here. That's self-glory. No. It's all his glory. Now, um, Tim Keller on this, I wanted to quote him on it. He says, you know, this is the biblical gospel. This is Paul's gospel. Salvation from first to last is God's doing. It is his calling, his plan, his action, his work. He deserves glory for all time. Now, I'm just going to finish. This really sets up uh, the series. He's going to fight for your freedom. The way he's going to fight is he's going to deconstruct the additions to the gospel that the world and others want to make. And I wanted to just finish, give you three quick kind of thoughts, because it kind of lands it on an application level, how we can lose the gospel today. How can you lose the gospel today, right? Here's a couple thoughts for you. Number one, we can make salvation about the level of our faith. You know, trust in him, a life committed to him. He's my Lord and Savior. He's the boss. It's possible that we can pile pressure upon ourselves to feel this feeling, a, a need to generate a high degree of spiritual sorrow, spiritual hunger and love to get Christ's presence. And man, it can be hard to maintain that. It can be hard to maintain that. You're working to keep Christ's presence through this high level of sorrow and hunger and love and we lose the freedom in Christ to maintain so that we can stay saved. Oh, I feel like I'm losing it. And, and in the end, you know what we do? We make our performance the Savior, not Christ's performance. And secondly, how we can lose the gospel today, we can make salvation about the level of morality we have. And, you know, I actually come across this out in the world a lot, where you're talking to someone, you want to talk about the, bath, the, about the gospel. And what is commonly said back is, Something like this. I'm basically a good person. Most people are good, you know. Well, who would God judge? And then in the conversation, it's like, only the worst. It's like, there's Hitler. If you're over on that side, pfft, no chance. But most of the world, we're pretty good. It's like we can find our way to God, essentially through having enough goodness in our life. Don't make that mistake. That's like the guy who's out there swimming in the water and thinks, I'm okay, but he's drowning. And the current's pulling them out farther and farther. No. If good people can know God, then Jesus' death was not necessary. And then lastly, we can make grace intolerant of small differences in culture, dress, or customs. Just as a couple examples of that. And, and the way this unfolds is cultures are different. Cultures are different. When cultures get together, you know, sometimes people hold their culture up high. There can be ethnic culture. There can be um, church culture, too, you know. And in the Galatian example, you have a 
church over here, uh, uh, Jew, Jewish believers here looking at Gentile believers and they're going to hold their culture up. You need to do some of the things that, that we do. If you don't, at, at, at a minimum, you're not as good a Christian as us. At a minimum, you're less of a follower of Christ. I mean, that's one of the ways we could put pressure on. Now, none of us do that with like circumcision, but we can do it in other ways. You know, I've been told, I walked into a church once and I was wearing slacks and, and a nice shirt and dress shoes and I was told, you know, I love to see you wearing that because it means you love God more. You have a higher, you know, you're respecting God more. If you come to a church, you know, in sandals or shorts and, well, a lot of you I can see don't really love God right now, but, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? That's a cultural thing, you know, and, and. There's so many ways in which we can look over here and think of ourselves being higher, and we make the gospel less when we do that. We're essentially saying, add that to the gospel if you really want to be a good follower of Christ. And we can lose the gospel today. Paul cares so much about freedom in Christ, and he's going to talk about, as we go through this book, and um, he's going to fight for it. We're going to see him do that. It's going to be a good study. You know, that last little example I've, uh, I'll finish with that was the first was that rescue, you know. You need rescued. You need rescued. You're the guy in the water. You don't even know you're drowning. But there's so much about it that doesn't fit. You know why? Because it's like I was thinking about like, you know, I went out there, the rescuer to save him, and almost drowned. That's not Christ. Christ can make it. He did it. He, and some translations say rescue. Some say delivered. I like delivered too because delivered is like it's complete. The deliverer, it's like, have you ever had a package lost here in Guam? Well, I ordered it. Where did it go? I, did you deliver it? Right? The deliverer's like, I got it there. Jesus got it there. He got you there. You put your faith. And he says, in my father's hand, no one can pluck them out. There is this security in Christ. Thank the Lord for that. Father, we just pray that as we go through this book that you, you would teach us, you would shape things. So if we have like some thoughts about you that are just a little bit off, that don't fit, that you would uh, help um, carve that out of us, that you would... Um, generate within us um, and stimulate uh, thinking about what Paul's talking about and how it does apply to us. Maybe we're a person who should be more gracious and we're a person who doesn't have enough peace in our life. Maybe we are a person who has put our faith in the wrong things, our identity in the wrong things. I just pray, God, that you would use this study over these next couple months in this book to really shape within us a community of people who live with a love for you, but a freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Let's stand and we'll finish the worship together.